So I'll ask you a question. And if you've been churched at all, you might have some ideas about this. So if I said spirit-led or baptized in the spirit, what kind of images come to your mind? Yes, exactly. People that buy their anointing oil at Costco and they're just waiting for you to come in. They're gonna slap some on your forehead and pray the demons out of you. And they don't say Jesus like we do. They say, Jesus, and you can feel it. And we're gonna do real Christianity today, right? And you have all these kind of ideas when it comes to anything that deals with the spirit. There's all the history that maybe a church you went to or people that you've been around that might make you uncomfortable. It might seem strange. But if we're honest, the Bible has very strange things in it. Like don't read the Bible if you don't wanna be freaked out because it's, it's strange, right? Isaiah chapter 20, you know, it's a strange chapter, okay? Mrs. Isaiah wakes up, it's Monday morning, comes out of her room, coming out to get a cup of coffee. She shrieks because there's Mr. Isaiah at the door with his briefcase, ready to go out the door and she can't believe how he's dressed. Why have you ever been amazed at what your husband will leave to go to work in? Okay, you got nothing on Mrs. Isaiah because Mr. Isaiah was butt naked, just completely. Read the Bible, it's there. I'm just telling you what it says. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, God told me to go to work like this. Like what? Husbands, have you ever wanted that excuse? I'm dressed like this because God told me to, all right? I have to dress like this. And he repeats that the next morning and the next morning and the next morning for three and a half years. That's weird, okay? Every time the door opens on the Isaiah household, parents are grabbing their kids and running. Don't look, right? Imagine that. No, please don't, actually. Please don't imagine that, right? That's in the Bible, Isaiah 20 or Ezekiel chapter four. Ezekiel is told, build a little Lego house that looks like Jerusalem. Lie on your left side for 390 days. Don't move. When you're done with that, roll over to your right side and lay there for another 40 days. All the while cooking your food over human feces. How would you like that? How would you like the spirit to tell you to do that? So Ezekiel actually objects to that. He's like, please God, no. Can I use cow manure instead? I've always thought, Ezekiel, you need to learn the art of negotiation. <laughs> you ask way higher than what you think you'll get. Okay, God, I don't wanna do human feces. How about Chinese takeout? And then you move to a middle ground. It goes on and on and on. Jeremiah knows all this. When he's called to into the ministry by the spirit, guess what he says? Please no, read Jeremiah chapter one. Please don't choose me. I'll go work at McDonald's and be a fry cook okay, and have the grease and bad acne, please don't make me be that. So honestly, the Bible has some really strange stuff in it. And sometimes, you know, people can grab those ideas and import them into their own life and say, I'm being spirit-led. The other side though is this, it's not being strange when it comes to spirit-led, it's being what I call passive. And there are people that are very passive when it comes to the spirit right? They're like, I'm not doing anything unless the spirit tells me to. And they like just wait around for like a magic wand to pass over their life before they'll ever step out or do anything, just waiting for the spirit. I don't feel spirit led yet. And what they remind me of is I was a missionary in Vanuatu for about a year. 
And there's an island there. It was a chain of islands in Vanuatu, 83 islands. There's an island called Tana. And Tana has this group, they're called the John from Cargo Cult. You can Google them, it's hilarious. And it appears, here's what happened in World War II. This very isolated island, somebody from the military showed up on the island, got off and he said, hey, I'm John from America. So they just said, your name is John from. And he gave them stuff. He gave them candy. And I've been to Vanuatu and lived there for a year. They have one dessert, it's called Lap Lap. Lap Lap tastes like a sponge dipped in coconut milk. It's totally gross. So here's this guy that gives them American candy, a hostess Twinkie or something. And they're like, you must be a God. We will worship you. So this guy, John from has to leave and he says this, I'll be back and I'll bring more of this stuff. So now for 75 years, that tribe has sat and waited for John to come back. And they don't do anything. They don't send their kids to school. They don't work. They are completely waiting. They actually dress up in military uniforms like he did. They carry the American flag. They say the Pledge of Allegiance. They do all this stuff and they're just waiting for John Frum to come back. They've never sent their kids to school. Like it's one of the big things that the government has against them. And they say, why should we? Because when John Frum comes back, he'll give us tons of money, tons of candy. And in 15 minutes, we'll learn everything there is to know. They just wait, paralyzed by this. I know some believers that do that. I'm just waiting for the spirit. Just wait. Well, there are plenty of things the Bible says you can be doing right now. Praying, serving, giving, living. Are you kidding me? So a lot of us have a baggage that comes with anything that talks about the spirit. So last week, here's what we did. We just looked at what the spirit, what Galatians chapter five says, the spirit does in our lives. And it's brilliant, cleanses us, gives us new hearts new desires, gives us power, produces fruit, love, joy, peace. It does all this. This is what the spirit does for you and me. But that's not the end of it. Because like everything in the Bible, it's a partnership. It's incarnational. It's God plus me. God always initiates. God always prompts. God always does his job well. And then I am supposed to respond to it somehow. So we looked at last week, here's what God does for us. Now, verses 24 And 25 says this to you and me, based on how good God has been, we should joyfully serve him and follow him by doing two things, crucifying the flesh and walking in step with the spirit. That's our side. This is how we respond to God. So we're gonna look at these two things, right? First one, here's what we're supposed to do. God's done all this stuff, changed my heart, changed my desire, gave me his spirit, gave me power, cleansed me, adopted me into his family. So what do I do? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, what do you think that means? Are we literally supposed to crucify the flesh? Google the Philippines and crucifixion because there are people that take this quite literally. Every Good Friday, men will volunteer to be nailed to a cross and crucified. Is that what it means? No, this is language. And we use language like this all the time. We make statements that we realize don't literally mean this thing. They mean something actually more brilliant and more important. Right? Like if someone says, says to you, hey, go break a leg. What does he mean? Is he sending the mafia, mafia after you? 
No, it actually means the opposite. It means what? Good luck. It means good luck. Or like, uh, how about this? Dude, you threw that person under the bus. Are they calling the cops on you because you just threw someone under the bus? No, it means you did something to that person that was not right. Or, hey, you just put your foot in your mouth. Does that literally mean you put your foot in? No, right? Those things are called analogies or metaphors. And what they do is they actually say a lot more in a few words than you could possibly explain. All those things do. And that's what crucify the flesh does. It's tying together two massive ideas, essentially, into one simple thing. You crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. So let me try to unpack what's being said by this. This word desire is really important. It's used here. It's used in verse 16. It's used in verse 17. Same word. And if you've been at Edgewater for any time, you would have heard this word. It's the Greek word, the original language of the New Testament, epithumeo. Simple word. Epi means over. Thumeo is where we get the word thermos. It literally means overheated. It's, I just call it an overdrive. It's what happens in you and me when we take good things and there's lots of good things God has given to us and we get overheated for that good thing and it stops being a good thing, it becomes a God thing. And the moment it becomes a God thing, look out because the Bible says it'll actually begin to rule you and dominate you and eventually destroy you. It becomes your God. I'll give you some examples. Food. This is Thanksgiving weekend. Is food good or bad? Good, right? When I eat a berry pie, I know God loves me. Like he didn't have to make berries. He didn't have to make things like that. When I eat a berry pie, I just say, God, you are so good to me. Wow. Like many of our hearts are still pumping gravy. Who's not happy for gravy? Gravy makes everything better. Like dry turkey becomes brilliant with just gravy, right? It's amazing. So good. Can food ever become unhealthy? Bad, totally, right? Gluttony, or there's these diseases now associated with food purging and it, it's just really, really bad. It destroys a person, why? Because the good food has become an overdrive to that person a comfort for that person. So they have a bad day and they go home and eat a half a baby loaf of abandoned cheese. That's not good. Nothing good will come from that. And we have these things that are good, but they have this unrighteous position in us and makes them become actually bad. Physical intimacy, good or bad? Totally good, right? It's the very first command God gives. You, Adam, you, Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Not hard for them to figure out how to do that. Good gift. Does physical intimacy ever go into overdrive in people's life and become destructive? Oh my goodness. I don't know what percentage of counseling I do that has to, has to is this realm where this good gift given to a man and a woman in marriage is taken to a place that destroys. It happens all the time. Fun, is fun good or bad? It's good, man. I think God has fun all the time. I read the Bible and I laugh. I think God has fun all the time in the Bible. Like Elijah, when he faces off with the 450 prophets of Baal and they're trying to get Baal to, to answer them and he will not answer them. I love Elijah. He goes, hey, perhaps he's not answering you because he's on the toilet. I love that. 
Like you're talking about kindergarten humor right there. Like kids get that like, hey, that's funny. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Why? Because God loves fun. Can fun get into overdrive? Oh yeah. It becomes people's idol that they lived for just fun. And if it's not fun, they're not going to do it. So the hard things in life that are super good for us, we avoid anything because it's not fun. It's very childish. Like my kids for years, they'd pray over breakfast and almost every time they'd pray this prayer, at the end of their prayer, they'd be like, and God, help us to have fun today. And I always say, well, what if you don't have fun today? Was it a bad day? What if it was a hard day? Was that a bad day? And so I, out of that, I tell my kids all the time, kids, hard is not bad. Sometimes hard is the best thing in the world for you. But if you make an idol of fun, you, be, you stay like a kid. So C.S. Lewis has this great um, essay on it. He says this, most people's idea of what God's job is this. At the end of the day, it could be said, a fun day was had by all. I don't think that's God's job. But once fun gets elevated up and comes into overdrive, man, it begins to rule you and you never do things difficult. How about looking good? Is looking good a good thing? Yeah, totally, right? I'm glad you guys at least made an attempt to look good today. Some of you succeeded. Others of us, we get an A for effort, right? I'm glad that's a good thing. But can the way you look get into overdrive? Oh my goodness. And it begins to rule you and you become depressed about how you look and you can no longer go out because you got a zit on your chin or something. And it begins, you get enslaved to that very thing. So it's all, there's tons, parenting, is parenting good or bad? Good. Can parenting go south? Oh, when people get their identity from their kids, when they just get, just go to any sporting event today and you'll see sporting, you'll see parenting that's gone crazy. Like a couple years ago, we had sent to us from the school this thing that was like, here's what you do as a parent at a game. And just listen up. It's essentially, don't be a jerk. And then you had to sign the bottom of it saying, I will not be a jerk at my kid's game. Okay? I didn't sign it. I had charity sign it. Because I know me. I'm like, I'm not signing that. I want the freedom to be a jerk every once in a while. Because <laughs> it's parenting that just goes up, goes to a level that it's not supposed to be. I can go on and on and on. Money, money good or bad? Good. When's it bad? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money. Money, it's good, sure. But it's when that gets overheated and gets in a place where that it's, oh, look out, career, whatever. People, I've seen people with careers sacrifice their family, sacrifice marriages, why? In the name of their career. Is working bad? Oh, working's good. Until it gets into overdrive, okay? So I can go on and on and on and on. It's good things that are the epithemales, really good things. But then they begin to take on an ultimate in your life and they become, you become ruled by it, enslaved to it. So here's what Paul says. Our job, God has done all this stuff for us. Now you and I, are to crucify those kind of things. Now, what does that mean? It means this. You have to take that thing that you've allowed to become ultimate in your life. You have to bring it to the cross and you have to say this, Jesus, I am looking at this thing as my savior now. I am believing if I could just get more money, I'd be saved. 
If I could just get a better name, I'd be saved. If I could just have that kind of pleasure, I'd be saved. If I could just have um, those kind of kids, I'd be saved. If I could get this kind of job, I'd be saved. If I could have this, it's a substitute savior. That's what you're doing with an epithumeo. If I just had that, it would save me. I've replaced you with this thing and I repent. And I want you to remind me every day that you alone can save me. And I want to be reminded, Jesus, of Romans 8, 32, that says this, if God spared not his only son, but delivered him up on my behalf, how shall I not with him give me all good things? You will not hold anything from me, that's good. And if I don't have this today, it's because it's not good for me. You take it to the cross and you crucify it over and over. And here's what happens, this miracle happens. The thing that was ultimate to you and driving you that caused you to look at everything through that lens. Like if money becomes your idol, everything is looked through that lens. You come to church to try to make money. You look at God to make you money. You look at your friends to make you money. Just it becomes money. If pleasure is your God, then everything is to serve that God. People are to give you pleasure. God's to give you pleasure, whatever it is. All of a sudden that thing that was ultimate to you and enslaving you, when it stops being enslaving, when you're able to crucify it, it then becomes enjoyable. You can just enjoy your kids. You realize they don't have to represent you. They don't have to be all stars. That they're little humans and they're good and there's bad in them. And you can just enjoy them. That, that money, hey, it, it serves a great purpose. But like Paul, you'll learn Philippians 4, 11, 12, and 13. Hey, I've had money and it was awesome. And I've had no money and I'm okay with that. Because in all things, I can do all things through Christ. That strengthens me. It changes everything. You just enjoy life then. It's brilliant. So what he's saying right here is he's saying, be set free from this stuff. Take that person or that passion and bring it to the cross and say, I've been substituting my wife or my husband for you, Jesus. And I've been putting this pressure on them that's destroying them. Forgive me for that. I've been taking this thing and I've been trying to say, it will save me. And I'm sorry, only you can save me. And you get set free and you enjoy your marriage and you enjoy your kids and you enjoy your career because they're not ultimate anymore. So is there something in your life right now that needs to be crucified? Something that's got overheated and you are spending all of your effort on that thinking, this will save me if I can just do that. It never will. Jesus said this. He said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass, but not my will, but thy will. There is no other savior but Jesus, only him. You take that thing and you bring it to the cross. And you say, Jesus, you be my savior. That's number one. Number two, you crucify, that's the negative. That will be an obstacle to the spirit life. But here's the positive. It's verse 25. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. To me, this is two things. It's a spirit life and it's a spirit walk. There's two things. So the spirit life is just a review of last week. And I don't know if you're here last week, so I'm gonna review it. The spirit life is this. You and I, when we believe in Jesus, we have a new heart given to us. We are cleansed from all of our junk all your sins, all your garbage, any nagging thought in your mind about how you blew it last year or last month or yesterday, 
The Bible says this, Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That stuff is gone. I tell people all the time, when you got saved and Jesus died on the cross for you, how many of your sins were in the future when Jesus died for you? Unless you're 2000 years old, all of them, that means he died for all of them, knowing all of them, there's no condemnation, you're cleansed. The new heart means this, there's a new center of what you desire and what you want. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 just says this, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are now an ambassador of this new kingdom. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin that you might be the righteousness of God. That's what's happened to you and to me. And then the spirit is given to us, and we saw this last week, so that we might walk and follow Jesus the way that we're supposed to be. So all that means is this, the spirit life is this, the core of the believer has been regenerated and is brand new. It's not what it was before. It's this new godly desire. Does that mean you don't have an old nature? No, you still do. Does that mean your mind doesn't need to be renewed? No, it still does. But the very core of who you are now is godly, regenerated, beautiful, right, true. Okay, so that's spirit life. Spirit walk is this. If you're interested in this, and I hope you are, because this is, this is Christianity 101, read Romans chapter seven and chapter eight. If you have questions on this, read it every single morning this week and simply pray, Jesus, give me wisdom on this. What are you trying to say in these chapters? Because that is to me, the Alps, the Mount Everest of the spirit walk. Chapter five, two as well, but it's just condensed. This is spirit life condensed. If you take... Romans 7 and 8, Galatians chapter 5, and you put them in a blender, boiled them overnight, and whatever was left in the pan, here's what I think it would be. Here's what the spirit walk is. Choosing deep joy over cheap thrills. That's the spirit walk. That you and I, if you wanna walk in step with the spirit, our job is this, you choose deep joy over cheap thrills. Let me try to give you some examples of this and then we'll be done, all right? Every human, I think, from Adam and Eve on has a desire to be married, raise a family, be intimate. We all have that. That's a deep thing that's in us. Deep joy comes from those things. They fit us, they match us, they're brilliant, they're beautiful. But here's what happens. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They unite against us and they tempt us with a cheap thrill. You know what that cheap thrill is today? It comes on your TV, your phone, or your computer. It's called pornography. Listen, you can have this, this intimacy thing without all the hard, hard work of relationship. You can have it right now, instant gratification on your phone or your TV or your computer. And we're tempted. And I have probably talked to, I'm gonna guess now, I was trying to figure out the number, at least a hundred men on this, at least a hundred men on this. And I ask him this question. I say, okay, when you're all done, are you happy? Are you truly happy? 
Out of a hundred men, I have never had one say yes. Every single man has said, nope, I'm not happy. And I just had this study, I actually sent it to all the pastors because I thought it was brilliant. There's a direct link now between porn use and loneliness, depression, anxiety, and self-harm. And so now as a counselor, when someone tells me they're depressed or lonely or thinking about self-harm, I have to ask, what are viewing habits? Because there's a direct line between that now. It's been proven scientifically. So what the, what, what, what the enemy and what our flesh and what the world does is it says this, you don't have to go for deep joy. You can have this cheap thrill instead, but it never lasts. It doesn't give you what you truly want. All of us, I believe, have this deep need for community. And not just like surface level. The, the community that the Bible talks about is being known, allowing people to actually know who you are. Everyone wants to be known. That's why we share stories. It's why we tell how we feel. It's why we do those things because we really want to be known. And then we also want to know people. Like that is in all of us. The second great command is what? Love God, heart, mind, and soul, first command. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's community. But then there's this, there's this imitation of that now. And it's social media and it's this many friends and it's the bar. You can have this without really knowing people, without the heart. You know that friendships are hard work? They are, but man, they're worth it. But what, what, what the, the thrill is, you can do this without it. You can just post this stuff, you can do it. No, you can't. I can go on. Parenting. Who doesn't wanna be a good parent? We all wanna be a good parent. Being a good parent takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It does. Raising kingdom, influencing kids takes a lot of work. But there's this way that says, you know what, you can have it the easy way. You can just buy them off with a trinket or something. No, you can't. It takes hard work. I can go on and on with these examples. So there's this, the spirit walk, if you look at Romans 7, 8, and Galatians chapter 5, the spirit walk is this, choosing deep joy instead of cheap thrills. And it's a constant battle and a constant walk. That's what we do. Okay, And I think that I can summarize that all in this one sentence. And I've given this sentence to a lot of people. And the sentence is this. Believe your identity has changed for joy. It's those four things. Number one, it's believe. And this is, have you actually trusted Jesus as your savior? This thing won't save me. That thing won't save me. She won't save me. He won't save me. The American government won't save me. Jesus alone saves me. And I'm trusting him and his work on the cross on my behalf. And when that happens, the Bible says you're given a new heart, you're cleansed from your sin, and you're given the power of the spirit. If you haven't done that step, the rest of this does not work. It's believe. Your identity, number two, that you are a son, a daughter of the king. That's who you are that you're a son, a daughter of the king. And it doesn't matter what other people's opinions are of you, you won the lottery. And that's the rock that you stand on. Number three, that you've been changed. Here's the enemy comes and says to you and me, you'll never change. You'll always be addicted. You'll always be a dork. You'll always be a jerk. You'll, you'll, that's what the enemy comes and says to you. But you know what we say? No, Ephesians chapter three, Chapter four, Colossians chapter three, I've been changed. The old nature I can take off and I can put on this new nature. I've been changed. I don't believe those lies anymore. And then lastly, for your joy. There's a guy named John Piper. He is famous for one thing. 
He's famous a bunch of things. This is what he's most famous for. It's called Christian hedonism. And he says this, as a Christian, we should pursue what makes us most happy. Because when you've got a new heart and you've got God's spirit in you, then you should pursue what makes you most happy. I believe personally, my theology is God wants you happy. Why do I believe that? Because I want my kids happy and God's a father. God's heart for you and me is I want you happy. I think you and I should be Christian hedonists. Now we should constantly be saying, what truly makes me happy? Really? Yes. And you ask yourself that question all the time. Will getting to the bottom of this half gallon of Briar's natural vanilla make me happy? I don't know, but I'll give it my best effort. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) No, you just keep asking, what truly makes me happy? You know what it will be? Galatians 5, verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what will make you truly happy. So you start just running that through your brain all the time. So I have a professor and he says this. He said it so many times, I'll never forget it. He said, here's what the spirit walk is. The spirit walk is this. If believers will stop in the moment when there's this cheap thrill coming at them, if they'll stop, think, pray, especially in community, meaning this, you're in church, you're in the body life, you're around things of Jesus. Stop, think, pray, especially in community and choose what will make you most deeply happy you'll mostly walk in the spirit. And you know what I found? He's absolutely right. It's not that hard. It's if I will stop in that moment and think and pray. And I've been abiding in the body, connected to the Jesus people. Then what happens in that moment that I choose deep joy, I make good, good decisions. I think that's what it is. This is our job. Crucify the flesh. Jesus, this thing has been interfering I've elevated it to a status it does not own. Only you do. You're ultimate. I've tried to get my thirst quenched by it. I've tried to get sustenance from it. It doesn't work. And number two, walking in the spirit is this stop, think, choose deep joy instead of cheap thrills and you'll walk in the spirit. So let me end by this prayer that I've been praying and then I'm done. Super simple prayer. I've been praying for the last, I'm gonna say six, eight weeks. And when I'm done praying for my kids or for whatever I'm praying for that day, here's how I end all my prayers in the last six weeks. I end it like this. Jesus, I wanna follow you today. Help me. Give me your spirit to follow you by being a good husband to charity, by being a good dad to my five kids two foster kids, by being a good pastor at Edgewater, by being an ambassador of your kingdom to Grant's past, and by loving my neighbor as myself. Amen. Here's what's been amazing to me. I've been a Christian a long time. Here's what's been amazing to me. It's like my ear has been tuned in to God's spirit because I'll go throughout my day and I'll be at these moments that it's like God's spirit reminds me, Matt, a good dad would do this. Matt, a good husband would do this. Matt, a good neighbor would do that. 
and I'm keeping in step with God's spirit. You can ask my kids. They're like, dad, you seem a little different lately. I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope I'm walking better in step with God's spirit because I'm acknowledging the need and then I'm tuning my ear in the morning. God, remind me of the things that I need to be about. The high priority, these are the things that I know will bring me deep joy, following Jesus, good husband, good dad, good neighbor, good pastor, ambassador in Grants Pass. That's what I really want. That will bring me deep joy. And I've just found it. I've walked in step. So today, I don't think it's so complicated. I think it's really simple, actually. I think it's choose deep joy over cheap thrills. And maybe spiritually today, you're just starving. You've made all these things ultimate for you. Every week we come to the table. And here's what coming to the table is. It's being reminded of your identity, that you get a feast with the king, that he's made a place for you. The king of the universe says, come and dine with me. When someone invites you over to their home to have a meal, what does that mean? They halfway like you, right? You don't invite over like the people you hate. It means they like you. Jesus says, I like you. Come and dine. But it's even more than that. Because if you read in John chapter six, he says this, something about partaking in this makes you part of him, makes you experience him, makes you empowered by him, makes you be more like him. So this morning, when you take the elements, whisper a simple prayer. Jesus today, I know what I'll whisper. Jesus today, I wanna follow you and help me to follow you by being a good dad, a good husband, a good pastor at Edgewater, a good neighbor, loving him as myself, amen. And watch and see what he does for you because I get all these reminders now. God's spirit just keeping me in step with him. And so father this day, we have ideas, sometimes baggage, sometimes good, of what it means to be a follower of you, what it means to be filled with your spirit. But we see in Galatians 5 what you do for us and how we're to respond. So I ask for your empowering work to happen. If there's things that have become ultimate, epithumeos, overdrives in us that have enslaved us because this chapter begins with for freedom, Christ has made you free. Set us free from those idols. Set yourself back on the throne of our heart and may we be a group of people that walk in step with you, that choose the deep joy you have for us over the cheap thrills of this world and the enemy and our flesh. And when we come to the table, I pray as we eat of you and drink, we would know that we are sons and daughters of the king invited to the greatest table in history because you want us and you love us. And that you by your nature, would empower us to be like you. And I ask this in your name, amen.